the scripture reading for tonight will be First uh, John chapter five verses fourteen through fifteen. Uh, that's First John chapter five verses fourteen through fifteen. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if and if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. One of the great truths of the Bible is that God invites us to speak to him. And not only that, he wants to hear from us and he promises that he will listen. In fact, you could say it this way, when you decide that you want to speak to the Almighty, you will have his undivided attention. Even though seven plus billion people live on this planet right now, even though there are other concerns and other issues going on in the world, God is able to hear and to pay attention and to listen. And that's a comforting truth. The question we're going to investigate this evening is, does God hear my prayers? And if he does, how do I know that he does? How do I have confidence that he hears me? And usually the way we answer this question Listen to me now. Usually the way we answer this question is we look at our prayer lives and we ask whether or not our prayers are being answered. And so if we can see our prayers being answered, then we say, well, yes, God heard my prayers. I would suggest to you, though, that the Bible reminds us that God hears our prayers whether we see an immediate answer or not. And think about that. It's about faith, it's about trust, it's about knowing that what God says is true and believing that his words are true, even when we don't see necessarily an immediate answer or necessarily the kind of answer that we were expecting or looking for. A couple of passages to think about. As you would answer this question, how would you go about doing it? By the way, there are passages in the Bible, especially in the book of Psalms, that deal with the seeming, the, the non-hearing of God. For example, Psalm 44, verses 22 and 23, the psalmist writes in Psalm 44, beginning in verse 22, he says, Awake, O Lord, why do you sleep? Will you cast us off forever? He's asking God to hear and to answer his petition, and you'll find many other psalms along those lines. Hear my prayer, O God. Don't forget me. Save me, O I pray. And so you find in the psalms that it's legitimate for us to ask God to listen to what we're saying. But is there assurance? Can we know that God hears? Consider these verses, these passages. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, part of the Sermon on the Mount, this is what Jesus says. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. And then for emphasis, the underlined portion on the screen behind me, for everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. And then he goes on to give an illustration. He says, what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask him? Jesus is giving us a passage that deals with assurance in our prayers. 
when we come to our Heavenly Father with petitions and requests and needs that only He can supply, He promises to hear. A second passage to contemplate as we think about this question, does God hear my prayers? In James chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, James writes this, Confess your trespasses one to another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. And then the underlined portion on the screen, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And here's James's illustration. Notice there's a lot of illustrations when it comes to prayer passages. Jesus says, what man among you is there that doesn't know how to give, give his children good things? And James says, consider Elijah. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. In other words, Elijah put his pants on one leg at a time, just like you and I do. And Elijah had struggles and Elijah had issues and Elijah still, even though he had a nature like ours, was a man of prayer. Now watch what his prayer life did. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And then he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. What's the Bible saying to us in Matthew 7, 7 through 11, here in James chapter 5? It's telling us that God hears and responds when his people come to him in sincere prayer. I want us to focus this evening on one passage in particular in answer to this question, does God hear my prayers? I want us to focus on 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. It's the passage that was read just a moment ago. 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15. You can open your Bibles there because the rest of the lesson is going to come from this particular set of verses. Here's what John says. 1 John's a book about confidence and assurance. It's about knowing that you're saved. It's about knowing that you have fellowship with God. It's about the tests and how do you know that you have fellowship with God? How do you know you're saved? 1 John deals with those kinds of questions. And at the end of the book, John deals with prayer. And here's what he says in 1 John 5 verse 14. Now this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And then John takes it one step further. And if we know that he hears us, which he just said we know, whatever we ask, we know, secondly, that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. That's John telling us that God hears our prayers. Let's take this passage apart for just a few minutes and let's look at the individual details of these two verses and let's see what we can glean together from this particular passage in answer to the question, does God hear my prayers? It's a wonderful and a comforting passage to, to think about and to trust in. How do you know God answers prayer? How do you know he hears prayer? Because of what the Bible tells us that he does. Watch this. In the first place, let's talk about the assurance of prayer. Now, let me just warn you, those of you who are taking notes, don't necessarily try to write everything that's on the screen this evening. You're going to get writer's cramp and there's just no profit in it, okay? We're just looking at the individual particulars of these two verses. And so you just think about what these verses and these words imply as we talk about them together. Maybe jot down a scripture reference or two. All right? Assurance of prayer. Look at verse 14 again. Notice, he uses the term we. And the first question we ought to ask ourselves as we look at 1 John 5, 14 is who is the we that he's dealing with? Who's he talking about? Who has this confidence and assurance that God hears prayer? And the answer, if you read on in the book of 1 John is he's talking about Christians. In fact, if you back up to verse 13 
of 1 John chapter 5, he just got through telling us that we can believe in the name of the Son of God and we can know without a doubt that we have eternal life. You can know you're saved, you can know you're in a right relationship with God through your belief and abiding in the Son of God. These things are written so that you may know, John says. So who's the we that he's talking about in 1 John 5, 14? Believers, followers of Christ. When I ask the question, does God hear my prayers? One of the responses I ought to get from God's word is this. I ought to ask myself, am I a believer in Jesus Christ? Am I a follower of his? Have I put on Christ in baptism and am I striving to accomplish his will in this world? This passage is assurance for those who are followers of Christ. Notice secondly, John uses the term confidence. Some translations have boldness in verse 14. This is the confidence or the boldness that we have toward him. And the word means assurance or freedom to speak or freedom to be bold or freedom to be forthright. If you were called into a high-level meeting at the White House, I don't know why you would be, but if you were, and somebody wanted you to come and sit in the Oval Office and to give your opinion about how the world ought to be run, how the nation ought to be run, if you walked into the Oval Office, that room is designed deliberately to be impressive and imposing and you sit there with the president and you sit there with all of his staff members and maybe the joint chiefs of staff are there and everybody turns at the table and looks at you and says, what do you think? I don't know about you, but despite the opinions I may or may not have about how our country's being run, I would have some timidity. I would be kind of careful about, I'd be nervous. How am I going to address this? How am I going to approach these people who have great power and how am I going to speak to them? What's the right thing to say? John is saying, when we come into God's presence, because we belong to him, we have confidence. We have confidence, we have boldness. God says, you belong to me. I have a relationship with you now and you can have confidence in coming to me. In fact, this word is also found in 1 John 2, verse 28, where John writes, and now little children abide in him, Christ, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So it's not about being timid. It's not about being soft-spoken. It's coming to God with your requests. It's coming to God with your petitions. It's coming to God with your supplications and doing so boldly. And then the next phrase to examine in verse 14, we have. We have confidence toward him. That means present tense, we are having. It's not something that just happens once in a while. It's an ongoing type of boldness. And then the phrase goes on, toward him or in him, depending on your translation. On the basis of our relationship with God. Because we belong to him, we have confidence that we can come to him in prayer and that he'll hear us. Other passages deal with this concept as well. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, the Bible says that Jesus, our great high priest, has gone into heaven before us as a forerunner. And therefore, it says in verse 16, let us have boldness that we may come before his graceful throne, the throne of his grace, that we may find grace to help in time of need. We have access to God's throne because of Christ and what he's done. 
In 1 John 3, verse 22, John says, Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So, what's being said? There is assurance that is given to us as Christians. God wants us to come before him and he wants us to make our minds and our requests known to him. And we can have boldness and confidence that in doing this, that he will respond, that he will listen, that he will understand what we're asking for. That's a great truth to contemplate, isn't it? God hears us when we pray. Notice secondly, as you look at verse 14, the content of prayer. The content of prayer, it's dealt with in this particular passage. What should my prayers consist of? What kinds of prayers does John have in mind? Notice he uses the word anything. And in the Greek sentence that comprises this verse, John, 1 John 5, 14, in the Greek sentence, anything is in emphatic position. It's like he's saying anything that you ask. He's making it emphatic for us. What does anything consist of? As you think about other passages on prayer, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, be anxious in nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Who does Paul say we, or what does Paul say we ought to pray about? He says you ought to pray about everything, be anxious in nothing. In Philippians 4, verse 19, Paul says, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, Peter says, Cast all your cares upon him. He cares for you. This world is difficult and demanding and challenging. And God says, I want you to bring everything that concerns you, everything that bothers you, everything that worries you. I want you to bring all those things to me. I want you to cast all those cares upon me. I want you to ask for everything that you need to be successful as a follower of Jesus Christ in this world. Anything. And so, if my will and my desire is to glorify God and to serve Jesus Christ, if that's really what I'm all about, that's the we in the previous point, if that's really what I'm all about, then God says, you have confidence, you can come into my presence, and you can ask for anything that concerns you, that bothers you, anything that you need, supplication. Now, before we leave this point, notice in the verse, in verse 14, there's a qualifier according to his will. You see that? According to his will. And that's what really throws people for a loop because people start doing all kinds of mental gymnastics and what does it mean to ask something according to his will and what does it mean that we don't ask according to his will and well, if I don't ask everything according to his will, then maybe it's not going to be answered. What does John mean when he says, if we ask anything according to his will? What John means is that we're asking in harmony with God's stated purposes in the world, in the church, in my family, and in my life. Has God said what he's trying to accomplish in the world? He's told us, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, 2 Peter 3 verse 9. Has God said what his will is for the church? 
Absolutely, that the church ought to glorify him in everything. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Has God said what his will is for my family? Absolutely. Husbands and wives love each other, and that relationship ought to mirror Christ in the church. Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Children ought to obey their parents and honor their father and mother, and parents ought to bring up their children, the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. Has God told me what his will is for my life? Has he told me what my will, his will is for my family? Absolutely. God has given me that information. This is what he wants to accomplish. And ultimately his will has to do with making people more like Jesus. With helping me to become more like Christ, with helping you to become more like Christ, ultimately his will has to do with molding and shaping people to become more like his son. Romans 8 verse 29 tells us that almost verbatim. It says his will, his desire is that we be conformed to the image of his son. So when I'm praying and I'm asking God for what I need, what needs to be on my mind, if I'm asking according to his will, what needs to be on my mind is how can God be glorified and how can people be made more like Christ? That's asking according to his will. And yes, there are specific things that we need in our lives and specific requests that we have for ourselves, and those are legitimate. And John is saying they're legitimate, but he's saying, ask those things according to his will. How does this glorify God? How does this help people to become more like Jesus? How does this help people who are lost to come to Christ? Those kinds of questions ought to be not far from our thinking as we pray. The Bible says in Romans 2 verse 18 that we can know the will of God. The Jews did. And you and I can as well. In fact, in Colossians 1, Paul prayed that his brethren would know God's will and would obey it. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, Jesus in the model prayer told us to pray, God, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And again, in Matthew 26, verse 39, when Jesus prayed in the garden of Gethsemane, we're going to examine this in a little bit more detail in just a moment. Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done the content of our prayer. Ask anything, ask according to his will. Third, the greatness of God's response. Last part of verse 14, first part of verse 15. Watch this. If we ask anything according to his will, this is the confidence that we have toward him, he hears us. I'm glad John told me that. Because there are a lot of things in my experience that I have prayed for and I have not seen an immediate answer. I have seen answers to prayers. I, I'm convinced that God does hear and answer prayer. Experience confirms that, but the Bible confirms it even if experience does not. He hears us. You ever send a letter or an email or a text to somebody and you kind of wonder, I wonder if they ever got it. I, I can't tell whether they've received it. I can't tell whether they've, they've, uh, I've gotten no response. Maybe the letter got lost in the mail. Maybe the, maybe the person's mad at me. Maybe they're traveling. Maybe they didn't get there. And, and so sometimes in our prayers, we think the same way. I wonder if God heard me. Maybe he's too busy. He's got too much going on. Maybe he's not able to respond right now. Whatever it is, no, John's saying no. We have this confidence as Christians. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And the phrase has to do not just with God knowing, but God accepting and responding to what we're asking for. Next, if we know he hears us, there's a logic here. If we know he hears us, 
then we know we have the petitions that we, are at, that we have asked of him. John goes on to say, so there's a logical statement here. If we know that God hears us, then we also know that he is granting our petitions. That's what the verse says. And again, people get confused because we pray and we pray and we pray and we don't necessarily see what we think is a response to prayer. We're not seeing an immediate result. We're not seeing something happening right now, right here in front of us. And so therefore, I wonder if God really did hear. John says, God hears your prayers. And if we know he hears, then we know we have the petitions we requested. Think about it this way. When God responds, According to his will, there are a couple of possible answers based on this passage. What this passage is saying is that, number one, God may choose to respond yes to your prayer. You are asking him for something. You are asking him for what you need in order to serve Christ better, in order to glorify him in this world, in order to bring more souls to him, in order to show how great he is. You're asking him for those things according to his will, yes. You have what you're requesting. Second possible response, 1 John chapter 5, verse 15, is this. I'll show you a better way. I'll show you a better way. You're asking for something. You're asking repeatedly for something. I'll show you an even better way. Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, I call to your mind again. Jesus says, which of you being evil... If your, if your child comes and asks you for, uh, you know, uh, if, if ask you for a fish, who's going to give him a serpent? If you being evil know how to give, give good things to your children, how much more does your heavenly father know how to give good things to those who ask him? That passage goes parallel hand in hand with what John is saying here in 1 John chapter 5 verse 15. God knows how to bless his people. He knows how to give good gifts to his people. That's what the passage is teaching. Okay, case studies, because I know you've got a lot of questions, and I do too, and there's no way in a lesson like this we can ever plumb the depths of all that's involved in prayer. There is so much written in the Bible about this subject. It's worthy of our attention and study. But I want to show you a couple of case studies. Open your Bibles back, if you would, to Matthew chapter 26 and verse 39. The Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26 and verse 39. Jesus is about to go to the cross. Jesus knew from the time he began his earthly ministry that the cross was his destiny. He talked, to it, talked about it repeatedly to his disciples. He talked to others about what he was going to do and how he was going to be lifted up and draw all men to himself, John 12, verse 32. But when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before the soldiers come to arrest him, watch what he prays in Matthew 26, verse 39. It says, he went a little farther and he fell on his face and he prayed saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. What's Jesus doing there in Matthew 26, 39? He's doing what John talks about in 1 John 5, verse 14. He's asking anything according to his will. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He's talking about the cup of wrath, the cup of suffering that he's going to have to partake of as he goes to the cross. Let this cup pass from me. Then Jesus says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. What do you learn from that passage? 
God could answer Jesus, yes, we'll let the cup pass. God could answer Jesus, I'll show you an even better way. Jesus already knew the answer, I believe. God had sent Jesus to ransom us from our sins. And what Jesus was going to do was show the greatness of God's love, to manifest the glory of God's greatness, to show the world how much God is worth. He's worth more than life itself. And in the cross, there was an opportunity for Jesus to show the world in a way that could never be done by anyone else under any other circumstance, the greatness and the majesty of God. An opportunity that he couldn't have taken advantage of any other way. I'll show you a better way. Second case study. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and look at verses 8 through 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 8 through 10. Paul has a thorn in the flesh. He says in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 8, concerning this thorn, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Now notice there is importunity. There is the need to repeat ourselves in prayer. How much are we really depending on God? How much are we really trusting in him? And so Paul prays three times. He prays once, and then he prays a second time, and then he prays a third time, and finally he gets a response. Now Paul had the advantage of divine revelation, and so God spoke directly to Paul. And here's what God said to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you, verse 9, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. What's God saying to Paul? He could have said, yes, I'll take away your thorn in the flesh. But what God says to Paul instead is, I'll show you a better way. And Paul, you have an opportunity at this point in your life to display the greatness of of God's grace, the sufficiency of his grace. As you live with this thorn in the flesh, as you endure this difficulty, you're showing by your life how I am enough. God is glorified in Paul. And notice Paul's attitude. Notice what he goes on to say. Was he disappointed that his thorn in the flesh wasn't taken away? No, Paul goes on and says in verse 9, therefore most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I now understand, Paul says, this is an opportunity to show how great God is. And then he goes on and says, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses. None of those things you would wish for yourself, but Paul says, I take pleasure in those things for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I believe both of these case studies have direct relevance to what John is saying in 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. God may answer our prayers with a yes. He may answer our prayers with a, I'll show you a better way. And the better way, brothers and sisters, if you haven't caught this, the better way has to do with lifting up Christ and showing the greatness and the goodness and the sufficiency of God in every situation of life. That's the better way. Now, as you think about all this, some questions for you and me to reflect on as we pray. Question number one, are you asking God for what you want? Are you asking God for what you need? Cast all your cares upon him. He cares for you. 1 Peter 5, verse 7. 
You do not have because you do not ask. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Are you asking? Second question. Do you acknowledge that God's will is always for the best and that he may have a better way in mind? Sometimes the things we ask for that we think we need so badly, take away my thorn in the flesh, let this cup pass from me, the things that we really, really desire, those may not be for the ultimate good of showing God's greatness in our lives, of showing how much Christ means. And then third, do you obey God willingly even when it's difficult? Even when it's difficult, the Bible describes people who are living in this life and who are challenged and who are persecuted and who are distressed. And the Bible says that God, if we'll let him, God will use us to show how great he is and we become lights to the world around us. Being a light to the world is not just being about, nice to, being, about being nice to people. Being a light to the world has to do with displaying even in our difficulties how much God means and how worthy he is. That's what prayer ought to be all about. Glorify God, lift up Jesus Christ, look for souls that you can bring to Jesus and ask yourself the question, am I being made more like him? It's prayer. It's our relationship with God. Does God hear my prayer? The answer to that question is not found just in experience alone. The answer to that question is found in the Word of God, in the assurances and the promises that it gives us. Let's let His Word guide us in our faith and in our prayers always. Maybe you're not a New Testament Christian. You'd like to put on Christ in baptism this evening. The way that somebody becomes a Christian is by believing in Jesus Christ by confessing that He is Lord, by repenting of their sins, and by being baptized in water. It's at the point of baptism that someone becomes a Christian. And not only that, it's at the point of baptism that someone is added to the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. If you'd like to make that decision this evening, or if you'd like to respond and ask for prayers, heaven's invitation is yours while we stand and sing. Stay and hear ye. Yeah.